Hi, and welcome to the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris. This podcast is all about helping leaders understand how do they get focus, flow, and fun. Over the course of this podcast, I'll be working with and interviewing senior people, leaders, and authors from around the world who will be giving their insights, their questions, their challenges around how they and the people that they work with become frank and fearless. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris, and today it is my absolute wonderful pleasure to be joined by a not just a friend of mine, uh, a colleague, a peer, and somebody who I hold in very high esteem, somebody that I've learned a huge amount from. Uh, Chris Everard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Adam. Great to be here. Now, I think I want to start with when you and I first met, it's probably <laughs> fair to say that we didn't actually kick it off to start with, did we? We didn't. No, no, you're quite right. It's uh, yeah, curious how, how I don't know, time and circumstance and I don't know, life changes perceptions, because you're quite right when we first met. You turned up with your your hair there and everywhere, wearing, I think, jeans and a T-shirt and trainers. And I was suited and booted. I was fresh off the boat as a trainee Vistage chair. And I had a very strong perception of what Vistage chairs should look like. And you didn't look like it. (laughs) Yes. My mould. No, I was was young. I was fresh. um, and, And my perception of you at the time was, who's this old guy? Uh, deep in sales, quite aggressive in his approach. This is not somebody that I'm going to get on well with. Uh, and it, and it's just really fascinating as the years went by. Uh, I know from my perspective that we just grew to appreciate and value the difference. And, and you know, I, I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast, but you, I've learned more from you than I probably have from a lot of other people in the coaching and the facilitation space. That's really interesting. I, I, I can mirror that. And um, and I, I can remember the time when I, quite distinctly, when I began to recognise your strengths, what you bought, how you operated and how different we were. And the, the time was, we were in Los Angeles for a Vistage Chair World. And um, you invited me to join what was then known as the CDG, the Chair Development Group. And... I didn't know what to expect, and I sat in that sort of anteroom in the uh, hotel in uh, Los Angeles with some people I never met before, other visitors' chairs, and I listened to you, and you 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 led a session, and I thought, oh, holy moly, this guy is really good, really really good, so different. I wouldn't have done it like that, but actually, the way you did it and brought people into the room and through your incredible questioning ability brought out what was really going on I'd have never been able to do it and I learned so much in that in that hour or so just watching you operate and I thought yeah if I could be half as good as that that would be fine and and what kind of happened from there was is that um not only did we learn from each other but actually we ended up um facilitating and chairing and for those listening that maybe aren't aware of the phrase chairing 
Uh, Chris and I have both we're both involved in an organisation called Vistage.com, uh, Chief Exec Mastermind uh, Groups, and we were you you as a chair facilitate a group of senior leaders, uh, bring them together once a month, um, and one of the one of the best things that I've done over the last ten years was is co facilitate and. You and I had so much fun. Just, so much fun. So much fun. Um, just being in a room and co-facilitating. Um, I'd, I'd had experience of, uh, of co-facilitating before uh, when I presented live on stage, but also facilitated sessions with uh, Robert Craven, the, my co-author of the Check-In Strategy Journal. But kind of doing it within kind of the peer group aspect. Not many people had done that before. And I look back now and I just go, that was they, those days were some of the greatest days that I had. Yeah, I absolutely just, agree. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, and I, I, if you'd said to me, you know, when we first met, we're going to be working together and actually co-chairing a group together, I'd, I'd have said, you're, you're on something wacky. That, that, that ain't ever going to happen. Anyway, co-chairing doesn't exist. Chair, the chair is in the room and the chair owns the room and blah, 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 blah. But through your help... And and you were persistent with me. You wouldn't let let me go, and we did it. Uh, and you invited me into the trusted advisors, and we ran I don't know three, four, five, six, seven, whatever it was, meetings together. And I came away from the meeting sometimes wondering whether anybody else in the room got as much as I did out of it, <laughs> the, 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 the paying attendees in, in particular, because the growth that I experienced working with you, uh, you know, in, in you know, talk about leadership. We, we 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 both we both had leadership positions, but I, I should imagine, and well, I don't imagine. I know we lead in very different ways, mm-hmm. very different, but it works. And, so and that's the magic of leadership. So let, let's let's unpack a couple of those things. So, what is it, or what was it for you about co-facilitating that was different and better than doing it on your own? I think it was. The, the key the key value for for the for for the members was that it's going to sound a bit brutal but there's no hiding place so if I asked a question and they were able to you know produce an answer that got somewhere near the truth you would then ask the same question but in a in a totally different way and 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 I think they found it absolutely uh, absorbing being being in a room with two relatively experienced chairs facilitators coaches and the way that without any rehearsal without any you know you do this I'll do that routine we were able to bring the real issues into the room mm-hmm. very quickly yeah so I, I think the thing for me was I've, I've always been fascinated originally qualifying as a as a teacher peer review was just something that is just natural within the education space uh, and what I've what I love about co-facilitating is that there's times when one or the other person needs to lead, and there's times when the other person just needs to take a step back and observe from a slight difference. Sometimes within the room, sometimes on the edge of the room, and sometimes in the centre of the room. And knowing that you are being watched and observed actually means that you as a coach or as a facilitator actually you're you're on top of your game yeah because yeah 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 now you say it you're right but i I never felt as though i had to do anything 
particularly special because Adam was in the room. I felt mm-hmm. comfortable just being me. And I think perhaps that's why we get on. We're, we're not trying to be anybody else when, yep. when, when we're together. We're just ourselves. Yes. And I, I don't know whether that's just me and you or whether I'm, I'm not co-chair than anybody else. So I've got no other, I've got no, no comparison. Well, I, you know, as, a, as I'm sitting here reflecting on the other side of the world, uh, me and New Zealand, you back in the UK, um, I, I think through our journeys, and there's a there's a level of similarity that we were going through in the fact that our, because we've still both got an ego, you know, we can't deny that, but actually growing into becoming a coach and a facilitator, our, our ego, I believe, has become less. And actually there was the realisation that we were there to serve the people that we were in the room with, whether that be one-on-one, whether that be a, a group of uh, members or whether that be a, you know, a, a boardroom. And when you kind of strip that back and you, you look at it and you go, how, where and what can we do that's going to add, the, A, the most amount of value, B, is going to have the most amount of challenge, and, and C, actually, because there's two of us, you can start doing things a little bit differently, yeah. have a little bit more yeah. fun. Yeah, you can, you can dare to be different because if, if it goes wrong, then somebody's got your back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, 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 glory days. So just pig, uh, piggyback on something you said before, uh, our leadership styles are quite different. So let's just unpack that. How how would you describe yourself as a leader in two or three words? Now or, or yeah, now, now okay, because I've been on a, like all of us, I've been on a journey. My leadership style, if that's the right phrase, let's use it. My leadership style has changed dramatically over the last five or six years. So I would say as a leader now, I am far more consultative, far more aware of the room, the team, the group. I am more relaxed. And I feel as though I lead from the bottom. So if you turn a pyramid upside down, so the pointy bit's pointing downwards, I tend to lead from that position, looking up and doing what I can to to help guide, support and challenge those higher up than I am in, in, in the pyramid. Whereas before, I was very much at the top of the pyramid and people were to follow me. Mm-hmm. And I've, so, I've, so, so practically, what does that mean? Practically, it means me providing the the environment, the getting the right people in the room, and that's really important to me. Um, but you know, my my well, it's not just mine, but the, I use the no dickhead rule, and you know, I, I just won't tolerate people that I don't share the same values with that who's who don't. <sighs> who find it really hard to be authentic and who've got got some other agenda to be in the room. So that really helps because when I'm in the room, I know I've got some really good people. So I'm there to facilitate, to provide the framework for others to unpack what's going on in their lives. Whereas previously, I would have had a, an agenda, you know, time to every 15 minutes I'd have been very clear on what was happening when and I would be leading it and I would drive the meeting you know sometimes relentlessly to the conclusion that I wanted whereas now uh, I'm I'm more than happy to turn up with a, with a, with a flip chart and a sign-in sheet and 
a pack of marker pens and just see what happens and just mm-hmm. just lead from from that and, and keep it on track keep you know it's important that timings are kept too and people have got busy lives we can't let it meander all over the place but just provide that framework for people to really express themselves so your your leadership cha- um, style has changed i'd say quite dramatically in the time that i've known you mm-hmm. if you were to take you know the the leadership style that you've now got uh, and I, I respect and appreciate you know that that ability to give people space um you know uh, not necessarily being fixated on on the agenda and allowing things to just come up H- how would you have been leading differently if you were to go back into your earlier career what what would that have meant for your for the organizations and the the teams that you were leading well that's a great question I, and uh, yeah i was 60 early this year so i'm spending a, i don't know it's seeming, it seems like a growing amount of time reflecting on life and what I could have done more of, less of, same of, etc. What I could have done differently. Um, and I look back at some of my yeah, successes in life and how I achieved them. And it was yeah, through largely through leadership. And that no dickhead rule, I've, I've been subconsciously aware of it, I think, for a long time, and I look at the teams I built, both in business and in sport, and I, I was using that there. So it goes back to the people. So w- what I know now, if I knew then, I would have, I would have been clearer on setting collective objectives. I would have been, I would have been more fearless, knowing that if I had the right people around me, we could have achieved anything. And there are a few times I did get the right people around me and we did achieve great things. But my, I think it, it, it's there's a difference between bravery and courage and, and both have got fear built into them. So bravery is doing something when you don't know the outcome, just going to do it. And courage is do, still, still doing something that has fear involved, but you know what the outcome might be. So, so I would have had more courage to to lead and guide people in, in in the certainty that with the right people you can achieve anything. I think that mm-hmm. courage, I think, is, is the word I'm fishing around for here. I would have had more courage. I would have been less fearful and more fearless. Uh, and what, what do you think you were fearful of? Well, the classic answer to that is failure, but failure has many, many faces, doesn't it? So what was I... F- I was fearful of, it goes back to bravery of what may happen or may not happen. Mm-hmm. What what could be the possible outcomes? So I was much more, yeah, controlling. I, I'm, a, I'm a strong believer in, in control, but not controlling. Um, so I was predetermining the outcomes. This is what I wanted to achieve, whether it was a sales figure or uh, a new client gain or buying another business. I, I, and it was kind of a predetermined path I think now I would have got the team together and see where we got to with, with some clear objectives but it it may have taken a, a twist or a turn along mm. the way so I've always felt that you've been frank in your approach mm. um you know your, your aspects of no dickheads um I, I completely get but I also I've, I've always felt that you're 
your sternness, you, you've got a real presence about you and you don't mince your words. If you're feeling a particular way, you've, mm-hmm. you, you're always quite upfront and, and frank. Uh, have you always been that way? Um, no, I, I, um, I, I don't know is the honest answer. I, I, I don't pretend to be anything. Well, I, I like to think I don't pretend to be anything. Um, I feel comfortable in my own skin. Have I always been, uh, yeah, frank? Um, I doubt it. But I, I've always had a voice, you know, whether whether mm-hmm. I, whether it's in my head or I say it, I... I I I have the I don't know is it an ability or is it a curse I don't know to to form opinions quickly and some of some of my filters over the years have not come into play and I've said what I've feel without hesitation and sometimes that's fantastic and sometimes you you listen to yourself and think oh holy moly what have you said now but yeah overall I think I don't know what it where it comes from as a child we moved around a lot you know by the time I was 11 I'd lived in seven different homes and been to five different schools so I I learned I learned that humour is a great leveller. So, you know, walking into a classroom, not knowing a single soul, not even the name of the teacher, not just once, not twice, three or four times, I found that if I played the clown, I'd fit in quite quickly. People would get to like it quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you, you needed, I needed a resilience because I had, I had to adapt quickly and, you know, the, the need to be liked is uh, is strong in all of us, especially as, as as a younger person. But I had this 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 resilience that I, I would be a clown up to a point, and then I'd decide not to. I'd, I'd say, right, that's enough. Let's crack on. No, mm-hmm. and I, I, I've all, I don't know. Yeah, I've always had that ability to work with people, make them feel comfortable, but actually occasionally introduce a hard edge and say that's it. Do you know, do you know Chris, it's really interesting because I'm, I'm listening to you saying that and I can I can picture in my mind two or three occasions where you've been, I wouldn't say the, I wouldn't say the class clown, but there's, there's, you've brought the humour in, mm. but very fast and very quickly just turned on and go, right, okay, we're now in business mode. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I, I'm reflecting and I'm just thinking it and going, you know, and that, that's a, that's actually a real true power to have is to be able to make people feel comfortable to allow people to fit in. But when the moment is right, yeah. is to just switch up and go, right, okay, come on. Yeah. Now let's get serious. We, we, we've had a laugh really good. And yeah. I, find, I find that little bit of humor, especially with people that are perhaps uh, more on the introvert scale. And you, you see them, they may not laugh out loud, but you see them smile. You see them mm. lean forward and open their bodies up so that they're, they're feeling more comfortable. I think it's a really useful tool to be able to to be quite quick-witted and, and you know, make a, a little bit of banter or, or a, a, a critical observation of something or someone. And it brings everybody to a level. Mm. And then you can move forward. Yeah. Um, Sport has played a big part in uh, in your life. Yeah. How 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 did you uh, how did you get into sport? What, what was what was the journey there? And just okay. share with us share with yeah. us some of the uh, the, the leadership uh, styles and observations that you had across your journey. Right. Okay. So a classic Middle England middle class 
white male education went well we went to a comprehensive school it was it was a transitioning from a grammar school secondary modern into a comprehensive in in, in, a, in a city actually Litchfield in the midlands and um sport was in the curriculum and i was quite a big lad i was probably six foot by the time i was 12 or 13 so and it had a strong rugby tradition and i, I was blessed with three um uh, games masters rugby masters who yeah helped me fall in love with the game and and you know if you're good at something you tend to like doing it and if you if you like doing something you're going to get better at it so i played a lot of rugby i'll be i'll be playing for the school on a Wednesday afternoon, probably on a Saturday morning, and then I'd, I'd, I'd walk down to the rugby club after playing for the school and see if I could get a game with the Colts. So I was, I don't know, 13, 14, playing with 16, 17, 18-year-olds, and I loved it. And, I, and if you couldn't get a game for the Colts, you were put, and this is in the day when most clubs had five or six teams out regularly on a Saturday, you'd get put into you know the, the old man's team. And they'd have you there to do all the running around and all the tackling for them while they just walk from scrum to line out to rook to maul. And, you know, in the day, it was a rough, rough house game. And I can remember loads of occasions when there was fights on the pitch and I would be involved and a gentle hand would appear on my shoulder, pull me back and say, just stay there, just get out of the way. And this great big hulking teammate of mine probably four times my age or thereabouts or three times my age go in and just look after me and I'd observe this thinking I'd have been murdered if I'd got involved with that fight but they they it was the camaraderie of rugby I think it taught me team it taught me trust and it taught me challenge as well you know if you, if you dropped a pass missed a tackle you would you would get some feedback and you didn't want mm. that. You didn't want that that loss of peer respect. So anyway, rugby carried on. Um, carried on playing for Litchfield. Obviously left school. I joined the navy, but returned. Carried on playing rugby, and um, we moved to where we live now. And there's a local rugby club, Lutterworth, and our son Matt. Deb took him down. Uh, my beautiful wife for his first introduction to mini rugby, and because um, I was working and then. I started taking him down and I was standing by the side of the little training pitch with these five-year-old boys running around and a ball, a rugby ball bounced in my direction. I caught it and I passed it back to the coach and he said, oh, I can see that you play. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, I do. He said, oh, give us a hand, will you? I said, what doing? He said, just help me with the boys just for half an hour. Hmm. I said, yeah, okay. And I was wearing my civvies. I was wearing a, a, a coat and jeans and normal shoes. Anyway, I said, okay. Got on the pitch, got all muddied up, and I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved helping these young little whippersnappers just run forwards, pass backwards. That's all, all we were trying to get them to do. And it was nearly impossible with, you know, 15, five-year-olds. They had no idea, no idea what they Anyway, that then developed sort of... I realised I wanted to do this, and I, I looked at the framework on, on how to do it, and one of the things the RF do, RFU do quite well is provide a framework for amateur coaches. So level one, basically turn up and you've passed. Level two is a little bit more testing. Anyway, I went through the levels of, of coaching certification, and I, I just enjoyed it so much. So I stayed with that age group, the, the age group my, our son, Matt, was in. Took them right through to under 17. So then um, Leicester Tigers 
I got I got involved with I was coaching the county and the little bit of Midlands coaching. Leicester Tigers came sort of knocking on my door saying, Would you run some of the academy sessions? I said, Yeah, of course. What a what a feather in my cap. So th- that's 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 how it started. Classic beginnings. But it was that ball bouncing across the grass into my arms and me passing it back was the moment in time that turned me from an observant father into a yeah, for about three years a professional rugby union coach. Wow, um, and and uh, now your son's taking the mantle yeah, of the Everard name forward. He, he went on to be, you know, a far, 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 far better player than I ever was. He was far better player than I ever dreamt I was, which is quite considerable. Um, yeah, he, then he packed in playing uh, about three, four years ago, and he's on the uh, the coaching team at uh, Wasps over in Coventry. And this season, he's defence coach. So. Yeah, his, his his coaching ability. I've watched him coach. I've watched him play thousands of times. I've watched him coach his teams a few times, and he 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 has uh, a style that. Yeah, we look quite similar. But if you didn't know if if, if if he were coaching in the dark and you didn't know he was my son, you would not make the connection between him and me. He coaches mm. very differently, very differently. Far more technically able coach. Far mm. cleverer far more astute was I coached really sometimes just through the the, the loudness of my voice and the uh, yeah the experience of playing second row for Litchfield thirds for, for a decade or two and that was about it so I'm hearing you sp- you know I hear those stories which are great with regards to the aspect of coaching within within sport and then it makes me think about as leaders how we're coach, whether it's conscious or subconscious, are mm. you know one of our main roles is to actually be coaching the people that work yeah. for us. Yeah. Why? Why is it? Do you believe that we we don't use the the same language uh, that we use within kind of the sporting arena? Uh, I, I think actually we do overall. Okay. So very frequently you. But, the same language, but maybe a different set of words, but, but with the same intent behind them. But I think it's, it, the sporting arena is far clearer cut. They keep score. Yeah? Mm. There's a scoreboard. There's a referee. There, there's, a, there's a distinct opposition. There are very precise roles within a sporting team for every member of that team to perform. And I, and I think if we could, which I've tried to do, uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not as successfully. Take that that sporting discipline where, if everybody did their job as best as they possibly could, with a clear focus on what was agreed as an outcome, mm-hmm. then teams, whether whether they be business, sport, theatre, mountaineering, music, whatever, doesn't matter, would perform far better. So I think there's a lot. A hell of a lot that business, as we're talking about business leadership, can learn from the the, the sporting field around that that peer respect, that peer love, that peer challenge, that peer mm-hmm. disrespect, that horrible sinking feeling when you've done something or not done something, and you know you've let your teammates down. There, there are worse feelings in the lo- in, in in our lives, but it, it, it it's a significant driver. And I think mm. when you get an engaged team, a motivated team, either 
you know, on the rugby pitch or, 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 or in the workplace. You can achieve anything. But it's, I've so, always found it, you, Sorry, go on. Well, no, I was, I was just going to say, so for those people that are listening, how what, what would be your advice, uh, signposting guidance with regards to how do you replicate and create the framework for success? The, okay. You know, in theory, inverted commas, the rules of the game, uh, as well as how do you create the the energy and the, the team the team dynamics and yeah. that, that that peer support. What are some of the things that you would that you've done, but also that you'd recommend? Well, yeah, that's yeah. I've often thought about this. What makes thirty, let's say, thirty five guys turn up at the same place at the same time on a Saturday afternoon? Put their put their boots on, go out onto the pitch, knock seven bells out of each other, come back in, have a bath or a shower, then have a pint together. What what is it? What 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 what's what's? Could you get a higher higher level of engagement? You, you probably could, but it, you'd be stretching it. So how do you take that 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 drive, that motivation for these thirty odd guys to turn up at the same place at the same time to do the same thing together and enjoy it? How do you take that in, into the workplace? So. I, th- I think it's quite basic, actually. It's it's about agreeing, setting, clarifying what the objective is. So in sports, it's, it's easy because you're going to win. You know, that, that's it. That's the objective. You want to win. You want to score more points than the opposition. Quite straightforward. But in business, it's not always that clear. And working with leaders over the years, um, one of my aims when I work with them, is to get them to understand how important it is to clarify this message, clarify the communications, and then, like in sport, make it really obvious what's expected of each person in that role, in that moment in time, heading towards this objective, and what they can expect from you as their leader and from their teammates. Because, again, it's easy in, 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 let's say, rugby or football or cricket or hockey. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If I'm playing in the second row, I'm going to be scrummaging and in the line out and rucking and mauling. That's what's expected of me, and I know, what's, I know what's expected of my teammates. But that sometimes gets lost in the workplace. So it's clarity of vision, clarity of yep. purpose, clarity of role, clarity around expectation. And then, for me, the overarching sort of air cover to that is the consistency of the leader. Mm. That every day they turn up with the same with the same voice, with the same behaviours, with the same attitudes, despite being perhaps having a row with a partner or the dog dying or whatever. They've got to have some latitude for, for human nature, but it, it, it's when a team doesn't know what to expect from the leader on a day-by-day basis, the team mm. then gets unsettled and they start looking after themselves, not the team. Yeah, I, I'm, there's one thing that I think um, that I would add there, which I think uh, sports teams have, which businesses don't. And I think for me, that's the clarity of consequence. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, great. Yes. So you, you know in sport, if you don't do something, A, that you're letting the team down, B, that if you consistently don't deliver, then either you're going to get you know uh, shipped out or you're going to get put in the reserves. So yeah, you know, the, the, yeah, that that the the clarity of consequence. And I, you know, I, I, I'm sure you like me. How many times have we spoken to to leaders, managers that know that they've got somebody that isn't keeping up 
to their side of the bargain. However, part of that is that the ex- expectation hasn't been, you know, said to them. So yeah. that that's that's the first thing. But also then it's you know there's this hope and this desire that yeah. they're going to yeah. get yeah. to the yeah. desired you know level, and it yeah. just it and, just doesn't yeah. happen. It doesn't happen. That, that that word hope is fantastic. You know, where there's life, there's hope. Where there's hope, there's etc. But actually, it can be really quite toxic. I hope I hope Fred shapes up. I hope Fred gets that done. I hope Fred speaks to that client. I hope Fred gets this resolved. Hope, hope, hope. And then there's the classic question, and this is refers back to the sporting uh, analogy about being dropped for underperforming. If you had your time again. And knowing what you now know about Fred, would you recruit him? And the, the, the answer is often no, I wouldn't. Then the question is, what, what, why is he still in your team then? Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've put him on a training course. Oh, okay, that's that's the answer, is it? Yeah, but, but you know, he, he was lacking. And sometimes it is the answer. He's just lacking a certain skill set. But it's this this lack of courage that a lot of leaders display, especially around this particular issue of knowing that a team member isn't quite good enough, isn't displaying the right behaviours, the values, the attitudes, the the commitment, the drive, the discretionary effort, and then deciding, choosing not to take action. Mm -hmm. That is corrosive. So the other team members know, probably know better than the leader that Fred is underperforming. And they are waiting, waiting for the leader to say, I've got some terrible news. I've had to let Fred go. They're yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's often the response. At last. At last. Yes. Why didn't yeah, he do yeah. it six months ago? He's been rubbish. I've been doing his bloody work for him since Christmas. <laughs> blah, 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 all that. And then it all comes pouring out. So when I'm coaching leaders in, 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 into having these conversations, and there is a fear, but it's not fear based on lack of bravery. It's a fear based on lack of courage because they know the outcome. They just don't want that 15 seconds of discomfort. Because that's all it is. Yeah. 15 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. If you prepare properly and you've got, you follow, obviously, there's employment law. You have to follow the, the proper process. But if you prepare properly, anybody mm-hmm. can do it. I've done it. I don't know how many times I've done it. I don't enjoy it. I don't look forward to it. But I know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I, re- I remember, I can't remember which speaker it is, but somebody saying to me once, uh, you're not doing the individual any favours either because no. you're preventing them from taking their next step and their next opportunity yeah, where they're going to, you know, where they're going to fit in, um, you know, uh, and be the right thing for them. Just picking up on speakers. So you and I have had the fortune to see some fantastic uh, speakers, presenters, yeah. experts in the field right, right the way across the globe. Who's the one or two that have really stuck with you? What was what was the message? You know, okay. people listening to this, who sh- who do you think they should be uh, researching and looking out for? Okay, for the, in no particular order. Then the, one of the guy I loved, and he he we we had him like I can't remember whether you were there at Hinkley Sketchley Grange, Ryan Avery. Yeah, the A to Z because he's American. It's not A to Z. It's A to Z of <laughs> leadership. Never mind. And and in particular, he spoke about the life of a leader and what you should always be doing as a leader. And I was expecting some, you know, wonderful words. And they are actually wonderful words. But he said three things. Have fun. Add value. Be yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's always stayed with me. 
always stayed with me. Have fun, add value, be yourself. And I look at myself, I think, you know, I can see myself in the room. Am I doing at least two of those, ideally three of those? And I like to think I am most of the time now. I do have So, So um, I distinctly remember that event because that's where the fire alarm went off. That's right. And he took us out yeah. of sermon on the mount outside of the car park. Absolutely. The ladies in the spa joined in. <laughs> yeah, it was it was brilliant. And the, the other thing I remember from that, that session was um, he spoke about don't be a leader, be mm. the leader. The, the leader. That's the A to Z of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Who else? Uh, the classic Marcus Child. Absolutely love the guy. I think he's awesome. And I've seen him speak, I don't know how many times now, five or six. And every time I learn something, it's like, it's like watching a great film. It, it's different every time you watch it. And he changes his presentation. But And this is from his first session. And it was before I, be, I became a Vistage chair. It was at a Vistage Open Day. And he was on the stage. And... Um, he came across this slide. I can't remember who, who the author of the words were. I think it was a Greek philosopher. And this has always stayed with me. The purpose of knowledge is action, not knowledge. So if you know something, do something about it. Don't just, don't just know it. Take action. And that, that, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm quite quick to get into an opinion and I'm quite quick to take action. And I think that mm. in a way summarises part of my leadership style perhaps a big chunk of it but styles change set on circumstances but i often say to the guys i'm working with if you know this if you know this when when are you going to do something about it if you know mm. fred's no good fred's had his time he's got you here but he won't get you there when are you going to do it what needs to happen for you to do this so the purpose of knowledge is action not knowledge so i know exactly when that was that was your first event and that was the time that we first, you know, when we started this yes, conversation. Yes, that's right. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. East Midlands. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, yeah, I was the uh, I was the MC on that day, and oh, I remember yeah. remember you coming up at the end. And Mark, remember Marcus hadn't been very well the night before as well. Actually, that's right. He'd been yeah. really quite yeah. sick. Yeah. Um, do you believe that that what you spoke about there about your ability to be able to process? Uh, decipher and come to a, a decision conclusion and take action. Do you think that's one of the reasons why you've been so successful? Apart from my good looks. Um, <laughs> I, I guess it, it's going to be, it's going to be in, the, in, in the quiver, isn't it? It's going to be one of the tools in the box, certainly. I don't think it's the only thing. I, I, I think I'm... And my beautiful wife would uh, absolutely agree. I'm contrary. If somebody says, you know, the grass is looking green, the chances are I'll say, mm, is it? Are you sure? It could be greener. And I, mm. I, I would challenge their thoughts. You know, I, I would, let, let, let's go to the pub. Or let's go, let's go to a different pub. Let's, go, let's try something different. Only because I think as, I don't know, as, as a, the third born, the, the, like, the, there was always predetermined pathways. My brother went there, my sister went there. And I always knew that I didn't want to follow those pathways. I wanted to do something different and be be my own. So, mm. it, it, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes asked what are, what are, what are my principles when I'm coaching, and, and and again, similar to the Ryan Avery, have fun, add value, be yourself. It is momentum. You've got to have a, a, a bow wave. You've got to keep moving forward. 
Otherwise, you stagnate and you actually start going backwards. So always, mm. always move forward. Then the next part, and there's no particular order here, no priority, is balance. You, you, you have to have a level view of the world. You can't get overexcited or over-depressed about certain things. You have to maintain a steady hand. And the third thing, and this is not always... People don't always agree with this, is control. You have to be in control. Otherwise, if you're not in control, it means somebody or something else is in control. So in control of your emotions, in control of your behaviours, in control of your decision-making process, in control of how you spend your time, in control of what you spend your time doing, and in control, this is the important one, of who you spend your time with. Well, sorry, I was just pausing because I'm just just listening. I'm unpacking that. Um, It... it, uh, and I think it goes back to what you were saying with regards to knowledge before. A lot of the times, you know, there'll be people that'll be listening to this. There's people that we've been, you know, that we've coached some actually at the same time. But it is this, it's, it's this aspect of taking action, knowing what you need to do, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes when you know it's uncomfortable, you know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's that oh shit moment. <laughs> oh god, do I? Then that feeling is, yes, you do, you do, because you know it's hard, and the, the doing the right thing is very infrequently the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is. It's just full sweet, but sometimes it's just the hardest thing. But it doesn't prevent it being the right thing just because it's hard. Yeah, I, I since naming you know the uh, the new brand Frank and Fearless, I found myself pushing my own boundaries and leaning into things that um, are incredibly uncomfortable. And, yeah. you know, you said it before, it's kind of that 15 seconds. Yeah. It's that, it's that the you know, the fear or the anxiety or that trepidation of taking that first step. But actually when you do, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. It's never is. Never. It's like, you know, you and I have been on stage in front of hundreds of people. It's, that, it's the first, it's in fact not even 15 seconds when you're on stage, it's the first five seconds. As you're standing there, the room's beginning to hush and you're going to start speaking. It's that. And then you, when you're into it, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. You're good. It's like, you know, swimming the channel. Once you've got your trunks on and you're in the water, you're swimming the channel. It's getting into the water is the hard bit because it's cold and wet. It's, it's, you know, training for a marathon. It's not you're running. It's putting your trainers on in the morning. Yeah. Getting out. That's the hard bit. It's not the running. Yeah, I re- I remember somebody saying that if you know it's pick pick it up on the running, or going to the gym, wear your gym clothes or your running clothes to bed. Yeah, so that Let's you're one step close. Yeah, you're one step yeah. closer. And yeah. I, and I think sometimes, you know, um, you know, there's a phrase I often use: our bodies, our minds, our bodies and our minds will take the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to find for us as individuals, and thus the people that we're leading. What's those things that we can do that's going to short circuit? How and what can we do to just do something slightly different that's going to allow us to to do those things that are uncomfortable to start with, to get over those five to fifteen seconds and then push on? That's it. Yeah. Well, this you know, go back to the psychologists. This is old brain, new brain, isn't it? The old brain yeah. is the safety brain, the dinosaur brain, the prehistoric brain. Don't do that. There's danger. You don't want to go running this morning. Look. It's raining. You don't want to run in the rain. You might slip. I don't know. Stay in bed. You can r- r- run twice tomorrow. 
That'll be fine. <laughs> and then the new brain is, no, no, come on, you made a commitment. You said you're going to go running. But, you know, it's, it's raining. So what? You've got new trainers. Just, all right, maybe change your pace slightly, but you'll be fine. And there's this internal battle, constant old brain, new brain. New brain wants to go forward. Old brain wants to keep you safe. And it's getting that control, going back to my sort of coaching mantra, getting that control so you can listen to both sides of your brain and say, hmm, okay, yeah, new brain, you've won, let's go, put the trainers yeah. on, let's go. Or old brain, it is, you're right, it's frosty and snowy on the ground, it, w- it would be really reckless to go running today. But instead of running, I'm going to do some press-ups or you know, I'll, I'll go and do some weights or something else. Yeah. So the control, the balance. So just as we uh, begin to um, wrap up, Chris, yeah. uh, thinking about being frank and fearless, yes. taking action, yes. uh, what, what's the next thing for you? Um, right, okay, that, 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 quite poignant. My mum died a couple of weeks ago, and um, I have to be um, at funerals a, a week on Monday, the 27th, and I was thinking about, obviously, speaking with you this morning and thinking about my mum, and I, I have a, let's say, a very mixed bag of relationships with my siblings and wider family. So uh, with, with, with the love and help, and challenge of my fantastic wife, I've I've recognised that I'm going to have to be quite fearless in the way I behave. I'm not talking about any extraordinary behaviour, but I need to remain calm and in control, which is doesn't sound fearless, but actually it is for me. Mm-hmm. It will be easy for me to be angry, easy for me to say some horrible, hurtful things to my siblings. And a lot of me feels that they deserve it. But I've got to be considerate of the wider family. Our children are coming, our grandchildren are coming. And would my mother want me to flare up? Mm. No, she wouldn't. So, so I, need to be, I need to be in control. And that's, that is fearless for me. Because I find it sometimes easy not to be in control. Just yeah. let it all out. So, and yeah, I need to be frank with myself. Um, and I, I need to be fair to my siblings who, you know, objectively have done nothing wrong. Mm. But objectively, they've done nothing. So it is doing nothing wrong. I don't know. This is the, opening up a whole philosophy. Yeah, and I just, want to, I, I just want to acknowledge your, your honesty and vulnerability. Um, and I know that we're, we're coming short on time, but... Uh, I, I I know that we're going to I'm going to get you on again because actually okay, uh, yeah. this is this is just scratching the surface of uh, of places that we can go. Um I just want to I want to mention a, a phrase that my my lovely wife uh has just coined which I think for me just actually sums where you're up at the moment conscious compassionate healing. Conscious compassionate healing. Yeah, okay. So yeah, she's a far better person than I am. I, I have no intention of having a, a longer relationship with my siblings. My, my, mm-hmm. my clear and, yeah, to me, so obvious, my, obvious so, goal is to get through the day without without physical violence at the moment. And I'm a, so, I'm a little bit away from it, to tell the truth. <laughs> so when I, when I say that phrase, it's actually mm-hmm. not to anybody other than to you. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Chris... Yeah. Um, we uh, this we've literally just scratched the surface. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even before go on and it, on. <laughs> a, a, absolutely, even before that um, uh, that last bit, 
Um, and this is going to be the start of uh, of episode upon episode. Um, I I've loved my time working with you. I've loved our friendship um, begin to blossom. Um, and even though that we're on the other side of the world, I, I love it when you kind of call me. Um, it's like five thirty in the morning for you, and it's <laughs> and <I'm> like. <laughs> Yes, many times you do have your top yeah, yeah, off, yeah. Um, just about to go swimming or something. But yeah. you know, it, it's it's great that um, uh, the relationship continues irrespective as uh, yeah. as distance. And I I value that. I value you, and I appreciate all the work and energy that you've done, and all the people that you've worked with. So thank you. Uh, this has you. been. This and has been the. Great, Adam, as a great man said, it's only just begun. It's only oh, just begun. That was a monkey's. That was the no, monkey's. It was, was it? It's the carpenters. Oh, the carpenter. Carpenter's. God, come on, Carol yeah. Carpenter, voice of an Carol angel. Carpenter, Karen yeah. Carpenter, Carol Carpenter, Car- Carol, isn't it? Or oh, Carol King, Car- Karen, Karen, I think it is Karen Carpenter. Well, I think, there we I think go. if we're going to continue, can can we, can we rename it from Frank and Fearless to Old and Hairless? <laughs> on that bombshell, as Alan Partridge <laughs> would say. Uh, this has been the Frank and Fearless podcast. Uh, today's guest was Chris Everard. Thank you, Chris, ever so much. And I'll see you next time on the Frank okay. and Fearless Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Adam. God bless. Take care. If you have liked and want to continue listening, please click to ensure that you subscribe, whichever platform that you're listening on. And please join us next time on the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast, where we delve in and find out how people have focus, flow, and fun. Thank you.